I wish I could put my fist through this whole lousy beautiful town. Hello and welcome to Lousy Beautiful Town, uh, where the world is on fire. Uh, we like to scream about Star Wars and put our fists through things. We're doing a lot more putting our fists through things than screaming about Star Wars. Uh, but we will talk about Star Wars today. Oh yeah, I'm Abby. <laughs> and your other host is Jess. Hi. Um, <laughs> We're here. We here. I don't know. Are we making this like episode 38 or is this an additional... Um, like quote unquote special episode like we had last time. I don't know. Who knows? Figure it out <laughs> before Enjoy. this gets posted. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Uh, so yeah, like we talked about in the last episode, um, it's kind of hard to just talk about Star Wars right now when the world is literally on fire. Um, and there are far more pressing <laughs> issues that need to be discussed. Um, but there has been a fair amount of... Um, Star Wars news that is also relevant to a lot of the things that we're talking about, um, both in the pod and also everywhere. But then later we will have a full on discussion about mental health. Imagine that us <laughs> talking about mental health. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. And like, I want to just say, like, you know, we said last time, who fucking cares about Star Wars and blah, blah, blah. Like, who does right now? Like, there's so, like, it's it's fiction. It's an escape. But Star Wars is part of the Hollywood system that right. is white supremacist. And fandom is also part of that as well. Mm-hmm. And racism and anti-blackness is a huge problem in Hollywood and fandom. And so mm-hmm. I feel like we should talk about that in yeah. more depth. I mean, not that we haven't already done that. <laughs> like, to a lot of, to a large extent in past episodes over the past year, but you know, I want to get some, I want to get some people on here to, yeah, to talk about that stuff too. So it's not yeah. just us being like, we, yeah. we hate everybody. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, we're blacklisted. I am on the Lucasfilm <laughs> limited blacklist. I'm not. <laughs> Let me just say. <laughs> One half of this podcast is blacklisted. <laughs> no, I don't know. Maybe I am now. I, I burned a few bridges. You're, so. you're associated with me. Yeah. So true, like the but... whole the whole thing was if you were associated with myself, Sarah or Jim, you might end up on the blacklist, too. So welcome to the blacklist. <laughs> we're yeah, glad to part... have you. <laughs> so. <sighs> There's some Star Wars news. Yeah, and I I guess I will talk about it. So, Star Wars Celebration. Wow, I did this acronym way wrong. SCWA, whatever that is, is <laughs> um, Star Wars <laughs> Celebration Anaheim. Star Celebration War Anaheim. <laughs> uh, is officially moved to 2022. Thank you for changing that. I had 2021. Um, fucking finally, like two yeah. months out. So... Um, I'm sure it has something to do with like the hotel contracts and things like that. Yep. California is pretty, you know, legally confusing and complicated. <laughs> so, yep. So hopefully, you guys can get everything canceled. Hopefully, the airlines honor either your credit or just cancel your shit because of the pandemic. First of all, <laughs> yeah. Um. And second of all, just the economic issues that are going on. That would be really shitty if they didn't do that. So I'm bummed. I'm, I'm not going to get to see 
you, first of all, and a lot of other friends that I was really excited to see and have you meet my cats and take you around to my favorite taco places and go to the beach. But Yeah, we were supposed to see each other twice this year. I know. (laughs) And I'm fucking upset. (laughs) You were supposed to be here for my birthday. (laughs) And you were supposed to be here for celebration. I didn't even have passes. <laughs> celebration. So I was well, just kind of waiting to see what was going to happen. I was like, oh, I'll buy one if I need to. And then I was like, oh, okay. worked well, out. I bought two. I, I only bought one for Friday. Well, I bought two passes for Friday because I was like, well, just in case Chris wants to come. And then Chris was like, I don't want to come. And I'm like, cool. <laughs> Jess probably didn't buy passes. <laughs> so maybe she'll want this one. But now I'm getting refunded. So perfect. Yeah, I was, um, I didn't know if like the Rep Matters panel was like going to happen yeah. or not. And so I was just going to wait. I like, I was like, I don't want to front all this money. Yeah. Um, I'll just wait because I'm, just, you know, people cancel and aren't able to come yeah. all the time. So I ended up selling one of my passes last, last time because I bought mm. one for one day. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and then I ended up getting a, a panel pass. So I was like, I'll just wait. But yeah. So it's good. We should not have conventions right now. At Dragon Con. Yeah, seriously. Um, like, it's just, it's too risky. Like, it's not worth the risk. As much as I love my fandom and my nerd friends, it is not worth the risk. Um, and it looks like they're going to do some type of online programming, but it doesn't seem like they're going to do the fan panels. So we they're might have to do online programming, but they couldn't even launch an app. Oh, I was thinking that too. <laughs> it was going to be a fucking disaster. I mean, Katrina and, um, shoot, I forget her name. She's really big in like the video game world. Um, they basically put together like, you, we called it Universal FamCon after the FanCon mm-hmm. debacle of mm-hmm. 2018. Is that what that was? 2017? I, think so. I don't know. <laughs> that I still have not got refunded for. <laughs> um, Are you but- shitting me? Yeah, I, I mean, like, I had my bank, you know, cancel mm. the payment, but I was never given a refund, and I'm I'm not the only one. So. Right, right. <laughs> um, yeah, they, like, pulled together just, like, an online version, because yeah. we were all still going. <laughs> yeah. And then Keith Chow and a bunch of other people from Nerds of, Nerds of Color, like, pulled together the actual physical, like, space, because a lot of artists were coming, so I don't know, maybe, obviously we won't do the physical space, but... I'm sure somebody will be able to pull th- some things together. Maybe we'll do something too. I don't know. We we'll see. That. We or we'll pull pull a group together to stream yeah. some things. Since we're all very mm. good at streaming and and video chatting now, <laughs> everybody should be an expert. <laughs> that is our entire life. Um. So, uh, the next news is there's a new game. It's called Star Wars Squadrons. Blah 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 whatever the exciting part that i think is exciting is that ray sloan is in it huh yeah (laughs) in the trailer thing like there's a hollow of her so it's like oh my god sc's losing her goddamn mind oh yeah she's she's over the moon um so and it looks like it's a very diverse like list of characters i didn't really watch the whole thing i just saw ray sloan and i was excited and then i turned it off after that watch it (laughs) <laughs> i just saw like the screenshots that people posted of ray sloan and Hera, and then i was like cool that sounds cool yeah. 
Also, can we stop crediting Chuck Wendig for Race Loans ah. creation? Because it was John Jackson Miller who created her and made her amazing. And Chuck Wendig just took that character and like expanded on her. Like, I fucking love Race Loan in Chuck Wendig's books. Don't get me wrong. That's probably the only thing I love about those books. But he did not create her. <laughs> John Jackson Miller did. We are done with Chuck Wendig. Uh, we've oh, been I, done with Chuck Wendig. I got but, blocked uh, because I replied to someone who is saying something about him without tagging him. So been done. Anyway. I got blocked because <laughs> he searches for his name on a daily basis. Um, but the only Chuck we acknowledge on this podcast is my dog, Chuck. Chucky, Chucky. The so. chicken. Who's sporting a beautiful pride bandana for this month. Mm. Oh, yeah. Happy pride. Thank you. <laughs> it's uh, been a ride. Yeah, it's kind of a weird. Oh, time. hang on. I, I, uh, I'll wait to complain about this because I can talk about it in the mental health stuff because <laughs> I work in mental health. <laughs> okay. Sorry. Um, so, yeah, I have kind of decided at this point that Star Wars video games are just not for me. Like, I have literally played all of them. And I'm just kind of like, eh. Like, I still have the one with the red-haired Jedi dude, and I can't get past the fucking training level. And I'm mad about it. <laughs> so I stopped playing <laughs> Battlefront wasn't really for me. Um, still love Old Republic, but I just can't do MMOs. It's too much time. So I don't know. I'll, we'll try this, but I'm just kind of not excited at this point. <laughs> Um, the next thing is the Star Wars Jedi Temple Challenge premiered on June 3rd, and that's the the, the kids game show with Ahmed Best. <laughs> and his character is a Jedi, and his name is Master Kelleran Beck, and he's adorable in his costume. He looks so good. Um, and he was interviewed... Um, for, you know, for this premiere. And he was saying that, like, you know, I believe this is the first African-American lead for a Star War. And it made me really sad because that should have been Finn. Huh. <laughs> sure, it should have been. I mean, I'm really glad that Ahmed Best is getting to do this and that he, yeah. you know, he of all people got called to do this in particular because he's kind of perfect yeah. for it, especially everything he's been through. Um, getting to show his actual face yes. on television is amazing. Um, but you know, we had a, a black lead, <laughs> but <laughs> mm -hmm. well, I don't know. We can talk about that in a second. Cause there's some other things I want to say. Anyway, um, the next, uh, from a certain point of view book was announced. It's the empire 40 year. Um, cause they did the, a new hope at 40 years as well. Mm -hmm. And this, I didn't like the way that this was announced on Twitter. It was very weird, and it was hard to keep yeah. track of what was going on. But it's coming out November 10th, and there's a lot of freaking amazing authors on this roster. Um, Tracy Dion, Mark Oshiro, Martha Wells, Zoraida, uh, Delilah, which whatever, um, Alexander Freed, uh, Mike Chen, E.K. Johnston, Lydia King, um, R.F. Kwong, who, oh my god, she's written like one of my favorite freaking YA fantasy books ever right now, The Poppy War. Um, C.B. Lee, who uh, they are a lovely author that writes like cute YA, um, hmm. like superhero <laughs> books. Hmm. Um, one of them is called like Not Your Villain. And I can't remember what the second one is called, but it, they're very good. And then Daniel Jose Older, Amy Radcliffe. Yay, Amy. Um, hey. 
uh, Beth Revis, Kevin Scott, Emily Skrutsky, Karen Strong, and Tool. I mean, I'm just naming names at this point, but Kirsten White, that's another one of my favorite YA authors, and Brittany and Williams, Charles Yu. God, there's so many people. I like the last name Skrutsky. I know, <laughs> but there's black <laughs> female authors on this list. Mm-hmm. Fuck- so, yeah, what? And then, oh, and then S.A. Um, Trakabordi, who I just. I've been waiting for her fucking book, the, um, what is it called? City of Brass. And I fu- it came today <laughs> from the library. Mm-hmm. I was like, yes. <laughs> so nice. I've heard great things about um, that series. I'm super excited to, to get to read, um, to read them before this comes out. But yeah, um, what was weird about this, I thought, is, you know, Black Lives Matter is a movement and it's very visible right now. And so the publishing industry, like especially the authors of color and the black authors in particular, took advantage of this, this, this kind of um, spotlight to talk about the publishing world and how it's fucking racist. <laughs> and they used mm-hmm. this hashtag called publishing paid me to talk about what they were paid for their work. And just to highlight like the difference in what a black author would be paid for like a brand new like novel, let's say, versus like what a white cis male author would be paid. And the, the difference was it was like 15,000 versus like 100,000. <laughs> well, Jesus Christ. Christ. Ridiculous. And it just showed, it just, you know, the purpose was to highlight, you know, obviously the disparity, but also just that like work by co- authors of color are just not, and black authors are just not, is not seen as, as monetarily valuable (laughs) and how are you supposed to support yourself in the situation Mm -hmm. like that like if you're a white dude most like or a white woman to be honest too most likely you come from you know generational wealth you have the opportunity to not have to work a second Mm -hmm. job or a first job (laughs) so Mm -hmm. that so that writing can be your second job and so it, you just get, you just have so much more opportunity and privilege in this space. And, um, and so the, the, from a certain point of view book, which I don't know if they did this with the first one, I can't remember. Yeah, they did. But They did. Okay. But mm-hmm. so basically all the authors are foregoing compensation and the proceeds uh, are going to an organization called First Book. And it's a nonprofit that provides books and, mm-hmm. and um, other like learning materials to educators. So that's good. You know, it's serving you know, it's helping kids out, but I just thought it was like a weird. Oh, so it's a like there's so many authors of color in this mm-hmm. list, and they're like not paying them. I mean, it's yeah. for a good cause, I guess, but I feel like they could have paid them, and Lucasfilm Publishing could have just fronted all of that donation uh-huh. of whatever it was made anyway, because they're a billion dollar corporation, right? So. Yeah, so Penguin Random House is donating a hundred thousand. Disney Lucasfilm is also donating a hundred thousand. Um, well, oh, they're donating a hundred thousand oh. children's books that's valued at a million. But come on, like that's a drop in the bucket. Yeah. <laughs> um, Rogue Padron actually had a really fantastic conversation about this. Imagine that Rogue Padron having like a genuinely <laughs> good conversation. Um, <laughs> on their latest episode about this. Um, and about like how, um, how shitty this is for, um, 
black authors and other authors of color who are stepping into the Star Wars world for the first time. Um, yeah. They're basically like working for exposure right yeah. now. Yeah. Um, and it's like, well, you don't want to turn it down because this is a huge foot in the door opportunity. Yeah, but, but if you also, love Star Wars, you get to write a Star Wars and that's fucking fantastic, right. you know? Right. Like, it's and a then, dream. <laughs> and then, like, Ash was talking about because she's experienced, you know, not being paid to do charity events as a musician of like, well, if you turn it down, you look like a fucking dick. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so it puts them in a lot of awkward and, and, and it puts them between a rock and a hard place. Um, especially when it's backed by a multi-billion dollar company that can easily front the cost and then pay its authors. Um, and yeah, this announcement was just really tone deaf. I felt like yeah. to the conversation that was going on on Twitter. Yeah. And I know a lot of people in the publish in Lucasfilm Publishing are on Twitter, like actively on Twitter. Um, mm-hmm. So I was kind of surprised to, I don't know, not have not see like a larger conversation around this. But it, yeah, it's shitty. It, but what do you it's do? Not a good look, right? Yeah. Um, um, one of the things that. Rogue Pod suggested because they actually suggested something good for once. Um, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> sorry guys. <laughs> this has been part become part Damn. of our brand now is just shitting on Rogue Padron because we want Ash. <laughs> um, <laughs> was to the yeah, like everyone was like, yeah, I'll probably get the book um, because you do want to read these stories by these authors. Um, continue to call out this kind of like, hey, this is kind of problematic. Y'all need to see this um, on Twitter and other social media. But then like, once you've read the book, find a couple of the the authors of color that you really enjoyed and buy one of their books. Like pick three authors if you're if you're able to financially and buy one of their books each and read them. So that way you're directly supporting that off- author quest their book at the library too because yep. the library will buy multiple copies of it so and don't buy it from amazon no <laughs> buy it from a black owned bookstore yeah <laughs> there's tons of lists out there i know i've posted them on instagram too so mm-hmm. i can post them in the notes too but yeah i agree that's a great kind of way to go about the the, the helpless way to go about this since we yeah. have no control over capitalism and either do any of these authors essentially you know which I don't know. Right. It just, it just, it gives me the squigglies and not in yeah. a good way. <laughs> yeah. It's not great. Speaking of Lucasfilm and giving me the squigglies, uh, <laughs> Lucasfilm now stands with John Boyega and Black Lives Matter. Imagine that. Which, where have they been five years, the last five years? Uh, but yeah. Um, that's great. Thank you. It sucks that John had to come out and be like, I don't know if I'm going to have a career after this. Mm-hmm. Like a talented, amazing actor that's been in fucking star wars is worried about losing his career over talking about how black lives matter <laughs> you haven't seen that video like which at this point i'm assuming y'all have because you're all star wars fans like fucking watch it and then watch it again it is very he can barely get through his speech he's uh-huh. like so emotional it's so yeah it's so amazing it's and like you compare it to other you compare it to white actors out there being like, yeah, Black Lives Matter. And there, none of them. That was going around. <sighs> like, 
I take responsibility. <laughs> yeah, fuck off. But none of them are saying, oh, I might lose my job for this. Yeah. So. <laughs> so, yeah, um, that upsets me. Like, great, thank you. And I mean, I know mm-hmm. it was a way for them to be like, you'll still have a job with us, if anything, you know, yeah. whatever that means. Not that he would probably ever want to work with them again. <laughs> no. <laughs> he got that check and he was like, bye, bitches. <laughs> if I were him, I would never work in a Star Wars ever again. No. Like, fuck that. Um, and like fandom was being really shitty too. There were a couple of people, I saw tweets circulating around there that they were like, oh, like John Boyega is fake woke and he's just capitalizing on this moment mm-hmm. as if he's not a black man who lives with racism and anti-blackness every fucking day. Like, and this mm-hmm. is a great opportunity when all eyes are on like act- black actors and black activists for him to say something and to speak up and to support the cause. It's because it's because he said a sexist comment about a white woman. Me. Dude. Yeah. I fucking we fucking see y'all who are like who went oh fucking up in arms about a joke that John Boyega made and turned it into something it wasn't and harassed him for months. Now all of a sudden are like, oh my god, Black Lives Matter. Or are doing the bullshit that Jess was talking about. Like, we fucking see you. <laughs> Like, those are fucking obvious. Also, like, you don't have to agree with jo- with what John Boyega did. You know, that comment on Instagram. People can make mistakes and right. still be anti-racist. <laughs> like, it's part of being a human being. So, like, No, yeah, you make you one mistake, to, cancel. You don't have to like that. I. That's fine. Don't like that. But you're going to cancel an entire human being who is a black man that, that suffers through this fucking white supremacist industry. And this fucking fandom that won't leave him alone. <laughs> um, like that Jenny Nicholson. <laughs> dude, like, really? Like, that's who you're going after? Yeah. Of all the things that you can, like, get up in arms about within Star Wars in a cultural context and Star Wars fandom as a whole, like, this is going to be the hill you die yeah. on? Like you're not more. You go enjoy your. You go <laughs> like enjoy your wrongness. More, yeah, like you're not more upset that like Lucasfilm did nothing when he was being harassed for years. Mm-hmm. That he finally snapped and was like, "Fuck you guys!" Like, yeah, I don't know. Like, I feel like that's a bigger issue than took them five years to say we stand with John Boyega. Fuck it, I hate them. Yeah, that's the news. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you wanted to talk about something before we get into our main topic. What did I want to talk about? <laughs> um, uh, eight can't wait. Oh, shit. Thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is what happens when it's not in the notes. <laughs> I told you to put it in the notes. I know. I forgot. I was looking at Instagram posts. Anyway, um, so our yeah. last episode, we gave a lot of resources for you to find ways to help and to get educated and to donate money. Um, and we talked about an organization called um shit what is the name of the website where are our, do you have our notes from last time yeah uh, i can pull Andy? them up why are your anyway, brains so broken dude my brain is so broken i have like n- my brain just doesn't it's you've been sick so you have an excuse yeah was it In the um, middle, I think. the joint campaign zero yeah j- campaign zero yeah yeah um and um, we're learning, <laughs> just like everybody else out there, 
Mm-hmm. I didn't realize like kind of the background to this organization and like what they were advocating towards. I kind of assume I don't I don't know why I assume this. I shouldn't assume this, but I assume anybody that's talking about defending the police is talking about abolition. <laughs> but apparently that's not the case. Mm. <laughs> um, um so uh campaign zero is about like basically taking these eight steps to defund the police, but what I didn't realize, and I don't think what you know you didn't realize either, is that it stopped there. <laughs> like it was mm-hmm. just take these eight steps and we'll be cool, which most of them were things that police departments already have in place. I think DC has all of them in place and mm-hmm. they still have horrible police violence. Yep. So clearly this doesn't work. <laughs> like you need just to completely defund and get to the point where you abolish the police department and replace it with community um, resources and, mm-hmm. you know, economic resources and educational resources uh, so that people can actually like thrive <laughs> and right. not uh, just be policed. Um, and so also um, I don't really feel like it's our place to cast judgment on this because we are not black. But um, the activist that is behind Campaign Zero, DeRay McKesson, has a history of kind of co-opting and essentially stealing from Black female and femme abolitionists and mm-hmm. just kind of taking their taking credit for their work for decades. Right. So that's not great either. Um, if you're not familiar with Sean King, uh, it, it's in the same vein as that situation as well, which I knew about him, but I didn't know about DeRay. So yeah, um, just more things for you to look up and kind of pay attention to um, while these conversations are floating around. But um, there is um, there was a group of black abolitionists that put together this campaign called Eight Can't Wait. And it's essentially eight steps to abolition. So it's, you know, kind of piggybacking off of that eight, you know, eight, whatever, eight steps to whatever was the point of <laughs> campaign zero at this point. Um, oh, and they like fudge data. <laughs> like, mm. I looked through the reports and I was like, oh, this is legit. And then I saw someone that like, you know, does like data analysis go through and say, oh, no, they misrepresented a bunch of data. And I was like, shit, mm-hmm. like, I don't know. It's just real quick. The eight can't wait was the reform thing. Um, the thing that we're talking about now is eight to abolition. Yeah. Eight to abolition. So that is a campaign that talks about steps to abolish the police. <laughs> defund to abolish. That is the goal. Yep. Um, Step one is defund the police. Two is demilitarize communities. Three, remove police from schools. Yeah. Four, mm. free people from jails and prisons. Five, repeal laws that criminalize survival. Oof, yeah. Six, yeah. invest in community self-governance. Seven, provide safe housing for everyone. Eight, invest in care, not cops. Mm-hmm. And that's very relevant to what we'll be talking about today. Yeah. And I want to say real quick, because I think this segues really nicely into what we're going to talk about, is a lot of people have been floating around, like, just you know, put more social workers out there to do Mm -hmm. police work instead. And I mean, I have friends that have been in the system, quote, (laughs) in the foster Mm -hmm. care system, um, have, you know, dealt with child services quite a bit in their lifetime. And this is a white supremacist, Mm -hmm. uh, can be a violent system for low income, especially black and brown kids as well. So Mm -hmm. 
um, and and adults, especially mentally ill adults. Um, mm-hmm. So um, be careful when you think that social workers are going to save us all because you're going to go into why <laughs> that may not be the case and why everything needs to be reformed and looked at an anti-racist lens. So um, I think I had texted Jess, like, I want to talk about mental health uh, with, in relation to everything that's going on a couple of, like, maybe like last week or something like that, because I got into it with uh, a friend of mine who was in my social work program. And I want to say this up front. If you are from my social work program and you're listening to my to, to the pod, which I doubt the off chance you are like, yeah, I am subtweeting you. So sorry, not sorry. Do better. Um, we graduated from the same fucking pro- program. I know you can do better. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> um, a cohort of mine is a crisis worker for a police department. Um and she posted a long post on Facebook about how defunding the police would get rid of her job as a crisis worker with police officers for mental health calls um, and that it would defund so many different programs like um, after school things for teens, which, mm-hmm, okay. The and, recruiting centers uh, for pol- uh-huh. their future police force, yeah. Uh-huh, <laughs> and things for domestic violence survivors, and it's like, mm, an overwhelming amount of domestic vi- violence perpetrators are police officers, but okay, go off. And <laughs> just a whole bunch of other things. And I commented on it, was like, hey, do you... <laughs> Do you not realize that like that money would be allocated into community resources, i.e. crisis workers, mental health professionals, social workers? Like that's the whole fucking point. And let me find the post because I want to read you exactly what she said in response to me. Because mm. it's bad. Unless we are changing. This is my cohort. Unless we are changing laws on who can use force and detain individuals, we need to team with officers, not get rid of them. Defunding will cut officers and not allow them to team with social services because they will be needed on the streets for calls to service. Committees in place to regulate police budgets to increase community teaming seems a better option than cutting funds. You should see the look on my face right now. Mm -hmm. I just want to give an example really quick of Mm -hmm. there. So Long Beach where I live, Long Beach, California, um, has a citizen oversight board to oversee police misconduct, et cetera. It's run by the fucking police. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So you can have these community oversight boards, civilian oversight boards, but if they have no power, it doesn't make a fucking difference. Not to yeah. mention so many other things that's wrong with her reply, but oh yeah, that's not oh. it's not that's not going to save us. Who can use force? Yeah, that's what like- the fuck? I uh, she's she's one. She and many of my other uh, peers that were in my class um, are big on reform, and I went on a whole thing about how reform doesn't work. 
I had said reforms that have been proposed have either already been put in place by police departments and don't work, i.e. the New York Police Department banning chokeholds didn't apply to Eric Garner, nor the officer that killed him as he was never indicted on any charges, or end up giving police more power to surveil police and incarcerate marginalized communities, especially Black, Indigenous, and other people of color. Historically, the police were not created to protect and serve the community, which is what we talked about last week. Uh, or last time, rather. The police were created to protect property, and this meant slaves until the quote-unquote abolishment of slavery in 1865, which we, didn't, which we know didn't end slavery at all, just created new versions of it under Jim Crow and the modern prison industrial complex. This is a systemic issue. The police were founded on killing black folks. It's not enough to do trainings. It's not enough to reform. It needs to be torn down. And she never responded. So, you know. What are you going to say okay. to that? <laughs> but no, reforms work. No, they don't. Mm-hmm. Like, um, you think that like all the people that have been doing work on this, mostly black women, don't know that they haven't looked at all of the reforms. They, you know, like it's you know they're not just proposing this out of thin air. Like they have looked right. at all of the systems that have been reformed, and it hasn't worked. Right. Like. Your beloved President Obama tried this shit too, and it didn't work. Look where we are now. Right. Like, it's right. just as bad as it's been. <laughs> I think people forget that Ferguson happened under the Obama administration. Yeah. And he tried to do the whole like oversight shit, you know, like, mm. you know, all the usual reforms. I feel like they were just, you know, I don't know. I have a complicated relationship with President Obama. <laughs> yeah. Same. Big same. <laughs> but yeah. Um, that was my first, like, are you fucking shitting me moment with some of my people I graduated with. Um, the second was when somebody asked if, uh, there are any petitions out there to sign to get police officers better mental health care. Um, (laughs) I threw my phone across the room and then another person, let me read you the uh, direct. Man, like, I just, let me read you the direct thing that she fucking shared on Facebook from a a, uh, Facebook page called The Brotherhood with half of the American flag and half the Confederate flag in it. Oh, Uh uh-huh. So she shared now. Okay, so I'm going to read you the post that was shared and then I'll read you what she said on top of it. Um, the post was no white person alive today ever owned a slave. No black person alive today was ever a slave. We can't move forward if people want to keep living the past. Gross. Disgusting. She shared it and said, agreed, but culture is passed down through the generations. That's what this is about. And I said, (laughs) encouraging folks, black folks in particular to quote unquote, move forward from the past completely ignores 400 plus years of chattel slavery. We say never forget for 9-11, but then tell people it was centuries of intergenerational trauma to move on. We can't move on because slavery was the foundation of every system in our country. White people want black folks to move on from slavery so they can continue to benefit from the systems of oppression that were built on the backs of slaves. She did not respond. So. (laughs) Sing a pattern. Uh Uh-huh. So. This is all to say. Being a mental health professional, working in the mental health field, being a 
social worker doesn't absolve you of racism. <laughs> you are not suddenly an incredible human being because you're a social worker. I know plenty of shitty people who are social workers. I went to school with them. I'm not saying that my friends are shitty people. I think they are being shitty right now. Um, but I know that they have the capacity to learn and grow because I watched them do it for two years. Uh, but there were some really bad people I went to school with both in my undergrad and my graduate degree. Um, and they're not hard to spot because <laughs> they're the ones who like to play devil's advocate. They're the ones who say they want to work with the quote unquote crazy people. And they're the ones who have a fucking fit when you start talking about white privilege. Um, Becoming a mental health professional doesn't mean you're suddenly this all-encompassed, culturally competent person. Evidence by social workers work for police and prisons. Uh, like my friend who works for the police department and is like fucking licking their boots right now. Like the taste of rubber must feel so good for her. Um, <laughs> and it has been a continued thing. Uh, of of sharing articles about her police department and uh, like so proud of our chief of police and stuff like that. Um, you're for for what? <laughs> for, for what? That's the thing. For what? I thought you were gonna say something after that. <laughs> There's nothing. no like that's the th thing. Is like why? What's the fucking point? What do you get out of this? These people, they don't want us there anyway, because we stand in the way, we, social workers, I mean, might stand in the way of them being able to indiscriminately kill black folks. Your, her whole job is to go on mental crisis health, or mental crisis calls, mental, fuck me, mental health crisis calls, <laughs> so that way no one gets killed. Do you know how many police departments implement that? Not a lot. You know why? Because they like to kill people. Also, you being a social worker doesn't protect you any either. There have been social oh. workers that have been shot by the police when responding to a mental mm -hmm. health crisis on the street. So, mm -hmm. A black man who was laying down with his arms up with his, yeah. uh, his, his uh, client who had autism, he got shot. The social worker, the black social worker laying on the ground with his arms up got shot. They, he asked the officer, why did you shoot me? The officer said, I don't know. It's, <sighs> it's like an abusive relationship, right? You know, you have your honeymoon phase, which there really is no true honeymoon phase when working with a police department. But you begin to convince yourself uh, that you're actually doing good when you're not. You're just continuing to uphold uh, institutionalized racism and systemic racism and the prison industrial complex and so many different things. The mental health field is not exempt from racism and it is not exempt from... The mental health field is based in systemic racism because of course it is. <laughs> it's created... <laughs> it, right. It is created by white people. Freud is the father of mental health and, and psychology and stuff like that. Freud was a racist, sexist piece of shit who did cocaine. Like, I don't know. And prescribed people cocaine to deal with their mental health. 
Not to like, not cocaine, but no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. God damn it, Jess. <laughs> but I mean, um, like, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, like, same thing with, like, the healthcare system. Same exact thing. It's not exempt from racism. I was an EMT. And mm-hmm. I just joined a street medic collective. And all of my training around how to get to a patient to a hospital is completely upended now because I can't call 911 right. because the cops will show up. Right. And so I don't know what to do. Like, we're trying to figure out, like, how to manage that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, because yeah. you're, you work so closely with law enforcement. Like, as an EMT, I was not allowed to um, restrain patients if they were confused or combative and, you know, con- refusing care when they were not, when they were in an altered mental state. Which, if you're in right. an altered mental state, that means you automatically give consent to any, me- to any medical care that's being offered mm-hmm. you. Because mm-hmm. you're not considered mentally competent to make a decision at that point. Yep. Um, which... I don't know. We won't talk yeah, about that. That's, that's, <laughs> that's, a, whole yeah, that's a whole other thing. Um, but mostly that applies to people that have like brain damage and like serious mm-hmm. trauma, like physical trauma to their body. And they need to be, you know, in surgery immediately to save their life. And they're just like, no, I don't want to go. It's like, mm, okay, well, you're going to die anyway. <laughs> um, but I mean, that applies to like a mental health situation as well, because you don't know if a patient is drunk or having some kind of like mental health crisis as an EMT or a paramedic, like you're not, you don't have the expertise to diagnose that. (laughs) So you just assume this patient is consenting. Yep. If they can't tell you what day it is or who the president is, or if they seem confused, they don't know their name. They don't know where they are. Like that. And then, and then police are allowed to use. And then you call the cops because they're supposed to quote, secure the scene for you to keep you safe. When Mm -hmm. really what they're doing what you're doing together is perpetuating this system of oppression on, on, on black and brown people, mostly poor people mm-hmm. as well, mentally ill mm-hmm. people. Yep. It's crazy I, how it's... integrated all of this stuff is into our daily lives, into people that we consider, you know, safe, safe places, firefighters, paramedics, EMTs, doctors, social workers, your therapist, yeah. like <laughs> you consider these people safe people to be able to go to. No. Well, not necessarily. We, I think, la- I think it was last night, Chris and I, uh, we finished our avatar, the last airbender rewatch, uh, <laughs> and have now moved on to the legend of Korra, which is new for both of us. And I watch that. Um, Me too. It's really good. Um, but there's a lot of cops in it <laughs> and it makes me really fucking sad. And we're eating dinner and watching Cora last night. And, and Chris just goes, TV shows and movies need to fucking stop glorifying cops because this is what kids see and they look up to it and that's how they want to become cops. And then they get their fucking hearts broken if they're black or brown. Or they get brainwashed and mm-hmm. they kill people in their own community. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah. Also, like, there's there's been a, a lot of people, like, talking about how limited police training is. It's only, like, what, 100 and some odd days? Hours. Something like that? Hours? Oh, great. Cool. Um, <laughs> yeah, you need more hours to be a cosmetologist than to be a police officer. Um, and only eight hours, I believe, in some places. I can't speak for all. Um, but at least in the state of Illinois, only eight hours are dedicated to learning how to deal with crisis management. And that's not just mental health. This is de-escalation as a whole. 
um, when you think about a lot of police situations, majority of the time they involve having to do some de-escalation because the police have escalated them in the first place. I am, I am certified in crisis prevention intervention um, as a person on the mental health side of, of the field. Um, I am a no contact person and I'm okay with being no contact. I don't want that fucking responsibility. And I am trained to de-escalate with words and with body language. And I don't need to touch that person or handcuff them or have a firearm pointed at them to do that. But apparently the police do. <sighs> I had more training in my street medic training probably than mm. these, which I mean, that is like grassroots for sure. And it's yeah. pulling together a bunch of resources from, men for, from mental health and healthcare professional trainings that all of us have done. So kind of like what Jess was saying earlier is like there's been this huge call for like we should replace cops with social workers, basically. And like I've been saying, being in the mental health field, being a mental health professional doesn't absolve you of racism. Our field is based in systemic racism. I mean, one of the easiest examples is like the DSM-5, which is what <laughs> we use to diagnose people with. And I mean, we talked uh, about this in a Patreon episode on how like is our trauma actually trauma or is it just part of living in like systemic racism mm -hmm. and systemic misogyny yeah. for our entire lives? Like <laughs> that was a good conversation. Damn. Yeah. You should be a patron and listen to that episode. Yeah. I forgot about how good that episode was. Yeah. Um, cause that was kind of like a, we were just talking and then having that, Oh shit. Is it PTSD or am I just a woman? <laughs> <laughs> Am I borderline or am I just a woman? <laughs> um, Hell. <laughs> but like the people on the board of the APA are majority straight, cis, white men, rich men. Um, and who are they to come up with the uh, qualifiers for diagnostic, the diagnostic criteria um, when they're basically based on studies done on cis, het, white middle-class men um the dsm does not account for cultural differences even though it has a little section in every diagnosis about cultural differences that's usually like two sentences um and i mean it's not it is a problem the dsm has a problem with not taking race into uh consideration ethnicity uh gender into consideration the easiest example Imagine. of that is adhd mm -hmm. um you look at the think of like your typical adhd autism kid. too autism too yeah think of like an adhd kid you think boy for the most part little boy bouncing off the walls can't sit still talks really fast interrupts other people or on the other opposite side of it like stares off into space is in la la land forgets a lot of things etc um and those are very typical uh, criteria of ADHD, criteria and symptoms of ADHD in boys and can present in girls as well. Like I've had plenty of female clients who have those same symptoms, but typically it presents very, 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 very differently in girls, um, which often leads to it being undiagnosed for years. Uh, case in point, I was diagnosed with ADHD last Thursday <laughs> <laughs> and I'm 25 years old. <laughs> Um, 
So it doesn't take into account these differences. Um, so you could be misdiagnosed really easily or not diagnosed at all because the person who is doing your assessment, giving you a diagnosis, isn't taking into consideration intergenerational trauma, isn't taking into consideration your gender, your age, your sexuality, your race, your ethnicity, because we are taught from a book based in systemic racism. Um, and so this furthering for making, essentially, essentially what I see a lot of people doing is basically giving the ideas that social workers should be cops. That's what it comes down to. You're replacing cops and putting in social workers, which is going to end up bad. <laughs> because like I've pointed out with some of my, my peers in my, in, in my uh, graduating class, you're not absolved of racism. <laughs> there are plenty of racist social workers out there. I have seen them. I have heard them. I have talked to them. Um, yeah. And, and the fact that one of your classmates was like, how do we, how can we as a... <laughs> <laughs> a profession be given use of force like yeah. in in Icky. replacement to the police like what the fuck why do you want to use force why you're, that's you're yeah. supposed to mitigate like a mental health crisis like why do you need to use force why do you want to use force that's fucking that's like super white supremacist power trip <laughs> her thing would be um well you've never had uh, somebody with schizophrenia in a psychotic episode coming at you, and it's just like, okay, so you're ableist too. So there is rampant racism in the <laughs> mental health field, as well as ableism, and those two combined. When if you are a black person with mental health conditions, you're fucking screwed. Uh, or so a no black disabled person. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um. So no, social workers should not come in place of cops. I don't want to. No, thank you. I'd rather leave the field. Um, but there was this really great article uh, that I found. It was called Abolishing Policing Also Means Abolishing Family Regulation. And so this whole article is about the Child Protective Services System. Um, it is CPS is steeped in racism. Um, they often separate black and brown families indiscriminately um, as opposed to in comparison to white families. Um, they tend to follow up more on calls that wouldn't have been taken um, if it is a black or brown family as opposed to a white family. Um, and there was a there was a paragraph in the article I wanted to read it. Um, and the author of this article is Dorothy Roberts, and she said the vast majority of child welfare investigations and removals involve allegations of neglect related to poverty, and black families are targeted the most for state disruption. Just as police don't make communities safe, communities safe, CPS affirmatively harms children and their families while failing to address the structural causes for their hardships. Residents of black neighborhoods live in fear of state agents entering their homes, interrogating them, and taking their children as much as they fear police harassing them in the streets. There's a reason that like if you think of the foster care system, you there tends to be more black children. It's because 
CPS is based (laughs) in taking black children away from their family. Um, And this is when I say to my fellow, like, I want to say, I want to scream at my fellow social workers is we are bound by a code of of six um, values that we are supposed to uphold as social workers, service, social justice, dignity and worth of the individual, importance of human relationships, integrity, and competency. All of this is going against every single thing we stand for as social workers, particularly in social justice, dignity and worth of the human being, and importance of human relationships. Because instead of going into that home, investigating, realizing that, you know, this supposed neglect is because of poverty and mom can't get a job uh, or she does have a job, but she has to go all the way across the city to go to her job, barely make enough money, come home, pay an exorbitant amount of rent and hopefully be able to keep the lights on. We don't go into that house and say, fuck, this isn't a a problem of neglect. This is a problem of systemic racism. CPS is notorious for this. And they are notorious for continually letting white people off the fucking hook. Illinois has the second worst child protective services system in the United States. I don't know who is the first. I don't want to know. I just know that we are the second. (laughs) And um, I will. So the reason I want to talk about this is because I want y'all to understand how bad it can be um, in terms of CPS letting white people off the hook. Um, So I will put a content warning about this um, because it involves child death. But in my county, I mean, I think it was like two years ago, a year or two ago, uh, a little boy went missing. And his parents, you know, it was on the news. It was everywhere. Parents, please help us find our boy. This boy, uh, this boy's parents have had multiple DCFS, which is what we call our CPS system, um, DCFS cases opened against them for charges of abuse and neglect. They have been, they had been reunified every single time, um, even if parents didn't follow through on court orders in terms of completing treatment and staying clean and stuff like that. So this boy had been taken from his home multiple times and reunited with them every single time. And all of a sudden he went missing. And it wasn't until a few days later uh, when I believe it was the dad finally admitted to police that he mur- that they murdered him. The fuck? These two parents murdered their five-year-old son. Um, buried him in a park. There was a huge uproar in our community, which obviously... Um, it is still a big thing. There are bills in place to get rid of our county's DCFS um, because it's like state-funded DCFS, so they want to make it like a county, like specific to the county. Um, mm-hmm. 
because obviously this is not the first time that it had that, you know, a child has died while under DCFS care. Um, we wouldn't have the second worst system if it, you know, was the first. Um, and the reason I bring that up is the only way this could have happened is because they were white. They were white. Yeah. They were given their child back every single time, every single time. And they killed him because their white privilege protected them from CPS. So no, we can't just send social workers in to do basically what police are doing. Because we fucking suck too. <laughs> because we aren't upholding our values as social workers. Because we aren't doing our jobs. Because systemic racism exists in our field too. And we don't want to talk about it. Because we're supposed to be quote unquote above that. <laughs> we're not. I'm not. Burn it all down. <laughs> Burn it all the fuck down. Like, honestly, um, if we had universal basic income, if we had good health care, if everybody was either had some type of income or had the ability to work, rent wasn't ridiculously expensive, we had access to internet, we had access to utilities, mm -hmm. we wouldn't need half of these services as much mm -mm. as we do. Mm -mm. Absolutely not. You really think parents, most parents, that live in poverty are not doing their best to try to provide for their children right. with no resources. Like really, but we're, we demonize people for stuff like that. And mostly black people, poverty there, is demonized in this country. Yeah. It is criminalized, literally criminalized. Yep. Give me one second. I want to grab a couple of some good social work books by, um, black authors, and I just I can't remember them all off the top of the, my head. They're <laughs> on my bookshelf. I'll be right back. Sure. Okay. <laughs> Couldn't find all of them. I think some of them are at my parents' house, but um, one that I 1,000% recommend in terms of talking about whew, I ran up my stairs. <laughs> um <laughs> And I had beer. And I also had an Italian beef for dinner. <laughs> mm, I'm so jealous. <laughs> <laughs> so um, with regard to like all the things we've been talking about, uh, one of the books that um, was really helpful in understanding a lot of all of this it's called uh, Nobody, Casualties of America's War on the Vulnerable from Ferguson to Flint and Beyond by Mark Lamont Hill. Um, it is a pretty quick read. It's a good read. Um, it has a shit ton of resources in it as well. Um, it talks about poverty and intergenerational trauma and how they affect um, the mental health of communities and why they are more susceptible to police violence and CPS and being incarcerated. Um, if you want to talk more about the many, 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 many layers of poverty, um, this one is not by a Black author, but it is called Evicted, Poverty and Profit in the American City by Matthew Desmond. Uh, this is also a really good one. So yeah. And then another one 
that I totally recommend to my fellow social workers is called Unfaithful Angels, How Social Work Has Abandoned Its Mission by Harry Specht and Mark E. Courtney. And this was written back in the 90s, this book, um, about how we as social workers are losing our mission and everything that they talk about. Yeah, this, the, the copyright on this book is 95. So <laughs> this book is as old as I am. Uh, and everything that they talk about this in this book is still a problem today uh, in I terms mean, of social work. Like we said before, it's not like nobody's been working on this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. It's not like nobody has been thinking about this and paying attention and doesn't have, you know, ways to move forward. Yep. There's part of, uh, I was like looking at the, what the fuck is that called? The bio, mm-hmm. right? The, the summary, whatever. Summary, I don't know. Yeah, the back cover. <laughs> yeah, the back cover. Um, it's talking the the authors show how America's excessive trust in individualistic solutions to social problems have led to the abandonment of the poor in this country. So, this is all to say that reform doesn't work. If you're a fucking social worker who supports reform, get the fuck out of my field. If your social work isn't anti-racist, it is not social work. And if you feel uncomfortable when people are talking about this shit, you should be. (laughs) Because you need to fucking reevaluate your practice as a social worker. Are you genuinely providing the best care for your black clients, your indigenous clients, your other clients of color? Because you're probably not. And if and you're are not you even the best person to do that, or can you refer them to people that have, just have say, experiences? Like, <laughs> if, if you are not, refer them out to somebody who will. There is not in my team. There is one woman of color, and she is the access coordinator. Uh, so she doesn't actually see cl- like have a client caseload. She just does the assessments. And then gives them to us. The rest of us are white. So. That's. A pro- that's a problem. We have one black person in our county. In like terms of our site. And there's. Three sites in our county. One black person. One black woman. And I want to bring up actually. Because in your program. You have to do clinic hours. Or I don't know what it's called. You have to do hours of some sort (laughs) (laughs) of training. Um, In the medical setting, it's clinic hours. I was just using that as a catch-all phrase, I guess. (laughs) If you think about, so let's say you are a black or brown person in a master's program for social work. You don't have financial resources to pay for you to survive and actually live. You have to take out loans. You have to hope mm-hmm. that you get a grant. You hope that your program allocates a stipend of some sort. So as a black or brown person, are you more likely to like be able to complete your hours in a timely fashion or even be able to go into a master's program that requires mm-hmm. something like this? You know, like just just on that level, like Think about any type of career that requires training like that, that doesn't give you paid hours Mm -hmm. um, or a stipend of some sort. Like, 
how are you supposed to get that training and be educated? How are we supposed to get social workers of color and black social workers to actually do this work um, in communities that need it and have anti-racist social workers that have Mm -hmm. experienced this life and Mm -hmm. want to go back into their communities and make a difference when there's Mm -hmm. these educational barriers. Mm -hmm. So it's not just the police. It's not just the mental health system. It's the education system Mm -hmm. that needs to be reformed as well and needs to be looked at through an anti-racist lens. It's all connected. There's a really good um, journal article out there by uh, Dr. Elizabeth Beck. Why can't I fucking talk? Dr. Elizabeth Beck uh, called naming white supremacy in the social work curriculum. So they, she talks about um, post-colonial theory, race, ethnicity in context of social work education and practice. Um, It's very good. 10 out of 10 would recommend. Um, But I, back up what Jess says because I think of some of the black women that were in my program who ended up having to extend longer past the two years that, you know, our cohort was doing um, because they couldn't the internship. Yeah. You had to have two internships in our program. One was um, 450 hours and the other was 600 hours. I was unbelievably blessed and privileged to be in the position I was for my social work program. I was fresh out of my undergrad. Um, My parents uh, are in a good socioeconomic status position. (laughs) Um, And they were like, if you go right into your master's program, you don't need to get a job. And I'm well aware of how unbelievably privileged I am to do that. Um. And so for me, going to school twice a week and getting my internship hours was easy. Easy peasy, lemon squeezy. The majority of the other people in my cohort were parents with young children already working in the field, going to school twice a week at night um, in the middle of tiny town, Wisconsin. and then having to get their 450 hours and then their 600 hours. Um, and there was not a lot of understanding of like, hey, I already work a 40 plus hour job and I'm a parent and I'm going to school and I'm doing an internship. Like, what can you guys, you as a school to do to help me? And there wasn't a lot of help. So a good majority of the particularly black women who were in my cohort either had to extend or they had to drop out because there was no support because there wasn't a single person of color on the board for the school of social work for my master's program. Not a single one. So of course they don't get it. And schools that do have people of color on their boards, they are not exempt because Mm -mm. it's still a system. Mm-hmm. Even if every single person on, in in the world or in the system was of mm-hmm. color or black or indigenous, it's still how the system is set up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we don't say systemic racism just because it sounds fun. Yeah. It means it's because it's a system. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it yeah. touched a little bit on my 
organizations, um, lack of diversity, um, and lots of white people, myself included. Um, I wanted to talk about really quick uh, my organization's response to Juneteenth being tomorrow. As we're recording this, it is now the 18th. Um, they actually gave the correct history of Juneteenth in the uh, email, which I was surprised. Hard not but, to do. It's all over the place right now. <laughs> right? <laughs> but um, I had I had seen a lot of people doing this with their companies, and I was like, you know what? It's somebody, we need to do this for ours, too, of advocating for Juneteenth to become a federal holiday, um, a paid federal holiday. And there are plenty of, well, not plenty, but there are a good smattering of companies within the United States who have decided to give Juneteenth off as a paid holiday. Um, and I encouraged our CEO to do the same, to take that into consideration um, because we as a leading community mental health organization have that power to provoke change. Um, so, and, and advocate at a larger scale. Um, what we are doing for Juneteenth tomorrow as an organization is at 12 p.m. Central Standard Time, we'll be having 60 seconds of silence to reflect. All 60 seconds. Mm-hmm, a whole 60 seconds. During for, lunchtime. Mm-hmm. <laughs> for, I have a meeting at noon, um, <laughs> but for 400 plus years of chattel slavery. 60 seconds of silence. Imagine what it would look like if mental health care was government funded and your organization didn't have to worry about profit and productivity. It is government funded. Never mind. <laughs> we're, we're, we're a nonprofit. We are federal, federally funded. Well, never mind then. <laughs> yep. So. Mm-hmm. Why the fuck is that an issue then? Ha ha ha. Good question. Um, another thing I wanted to talk about before I, I give some resources and talk about this uh, Facebook page and organization that I found. Thank you. Thanks to Jeff. Um, is this thing that I just saw like on Twitter today where people are talking about allyship burnout? And it's basically a bunch is it's a bunch of white people being like, I'm so burnt out from being an ally right now. I'm so tired. I must follow the right people because I have not seen that. Like in, the, on, the 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 only in not serious in seriousness, I guess. The only <laughs> thing, like the first thing I saw of it was Meg from Rogue Pod being like, "What the fuck is this bullshit? Fuck off!" Basically, <laughs> um, like y'all just learned about racism like three hours ago, and you're burnt out. Yeah, Meg works in a diversity space. Yes, like, so I can see why she would see it <laughs> yes. like immediately. Yes. So, um, I just wanted to throw that out there. Fuck your allyship burnout. It doesn't exist. You have empathy burnout because you really don't give a shit. Um, and stop weaponizing your whiteness, your, your, um, well, that, and also your mental illness. That's what I meant to say. Um, as like a, a reason why you can't, um, be out there doing the work. Um, like my anxiety doesn't let me engage in this kind of stuff. There's a difference between I can't go to a protest because I have 
such bad anxiety, can't be in large crowds, people. Okay. But I'm going to do the work from my home. Then I have such bad anxiety. I can't even look at the news and I'm white and I can't fight against racism. No. I saw a really good thread and I can't remember who it was by right now, but it was someone talking about how you need to differentiate between your symptoms of anxiety and your and the anxiety of being uncomfortable with being mm. called out for being racist. Mm-hmm. Um, and you need to be able to like sort through that and figure out what is actually anxiety that's like, hey, I can't go out and protest because mm-hmm. I'm scared of people <laughs> mm-hmm. versus do I feel anxious? Am I having the symptom, the physical symptoms of anxiety because it's uncomfortable to sit in here and, and, and think about ways that I have been racist in my life and I've been upholding white supremacy and violence yep. against black people. Yep. It kind of goes along with what we were talking about last week where, you know, I love to quote my therapist all the fucking time. Mm-hmm. Um, where she always says guilt implies wrongdoing. And if you're feeling guilty right now, good, because it's warranted guilt. Um, she and I spend a lot of time trying to decipher <laughs> between inappropriate and appropriate guilt. And if you're feeling guilty, especially as a white person, it's probably appropriate guilt. Because like Jess said, you're having to sit there and think about the ways that you are, have been racist and you have perpetuated the system. And that's, a fantastic point of like, is this clinical anxiety or do I just feel bad because I got called out on my shit? But yeah, and I'm not here to handhold, but as a non-black person of color, it is absolutely okay to take breaks. You need to, you need to refresh yourself so that you can come back and fight. That doesn't mean check out because you feel uncomfortable. Yes. <laughs> yes. Take breaks means rest so you can come back refreshed <laughs> and mm-hmm. ready. Mm-hmm. Um. <laughs> because when you, you know when these people are saying they, they have allyship burnout, they're not like, I have been... Me. Like, right, right, right. They're just using buzzwords. <laughs> they're putting buzzwords together. Uh, but they're not meaning like, you know, I'm burning the candle at both ends, have been doing this for two weeks, have been out there on the streets every single day, every hour of the day. Like, that's a little bit different because your body would probably shut down. Um, they're like, I retweeted four things about George Floyd, and now I'm tired of seeing it on the news. I protested for five hours, and I slept for 13 hours after. Mm-hmm. Like, because that's the first time I've been out in a space with more than two people at once <laughs> for months. <laughs> it was just really fucking overwhelming. Like, I get that there's like physical manifestations of exhaustion and like burnout mm-hmm. and stuff like this. Also, it's just hard to see people in pain. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's, of course. And as an empath, it's really hard to be around people that are angry and in pain because you mm-hmm. take that on. Um. Mm-hmm. But there's skills that you can you can yeah. learn to to fortify you, and yeah. you can go sleep for 13 hours and then come back. <laughs> it's fine. And you don't need to fucking tweet about it and like put it on Instagram. But I'm so tired. Oh my god, I wish things would go back to normal. There's no normal. No, like normal is people dying so that you can sit here Ignore and not it. care and not think right. about it. That's not okay. Right. I don't right. ever want to go back to that. But none of this is new. You're just realizing it now yeah but something that i've 
talk to my clients a lot about in especially my you know clients that are part of marginalized communities um but especially at the start of covid um i was having this conversation with all of them where our brains are not made to to um Fuck me, I can't talk. I can't think. I've <laughs> <laughs> I, I worked for eight hours today and I'm tired. Um, not because I have ally burn up, burn out. It's just regular old therapist burn out. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Um, our brains are not made to handle wide-scale mass trauma. At the touch of a finger, at the touch of our fingertips, we can have every single piece of news we could ever want at the touch of our fingers. Um, if I felt like finding out what was going on in Chris's family's uh, town in the Philippines, I could. That would have never happened hundreds of years ago. <laughs> like, I always, I always talk about, like, do you know how long it took Great Britain to figure out that Abraham Lincoln was dead? And they're like, no, I'm like, like two weeks, <laughs> like two weeks. Take the ship to cross the, <laughs> right. the Atlantic. <laughs> right. And now we can find out anything we want. And so when we're talking about it in that kind of context of as empaths, which most of us who are in therapy are, <laughs> um, it's okay to take that break because our brain isn't made to handle all of this at once. But you as, and I don't talk about this with, I, well, it depends on the client that I can have this conversation with. But you as a white person can take your break. But remember on your break that this might be overwhelming for you right now, but this has been black people's lives daily for their entire life is having to deal with mass amounts of trauma all at once. Um, While you're taking your break, someone might die. Right. Someone will probably die because mm -hmm. of the system. <laughs> that Somebody's some somebody who's been lynched will be reeled as a suicide. Which is some fucking bullshit. That's a whole other thing I can fucking go on about. But um sure, take your break to come back to be ready to fight. It is not a tap out of the match. You are taking your water break <laughs> so that way you can go back into the next round to fight for people who do need to tap out so fuck your allyship burnout <laughs> some fake bullshit i'm burned out from being told i'm racist like that's <laughs> that is uh my feelings are hurt because i was told i was racist sure is a thing wow mm -hmm. okay so Again, you might be wondering, Abby, this is all great, but what can I do to help black people with mental health disorders? But let me tell you. <laughs> um, I got uh, these resources off of an Instagram account, account talk, uh, called <laughs> Self-Care is for Everyone. They had helped compile this list of resources, um, as well as discussing how they were partnering with people, with other organizations to donate to these resources and organizations as well as connect um connect black folks with black mental health professionals um and so it is a it's a long list uh we will put it in the notes um but i would encourage y'all to check these places out if you are able to 
um, monetarily help, please consider donating to these these uh, resources and organizations if they have a donation link. Um, even a dollar helps people. Um, so the first one is the, uh, well, I don't know if it's the acronym, but <laughs> the uh, AAKOMA, so a coma project, Black Emotional Mental Health Collective, Black Mental Health Alliance, Black Mental Wellness, Stress, Inclusive Therapists, the Marsha P. Johnson Institute, Melanin and Mental Health, National Organization for People of Color Against Suicide, National Queer and Trans Therapists of Color Network, Sister Sista Afia, Community Mental Wellness, Therapy for Black Girls, the Loveland Foundation, which we talked about in our last episode. Um, please donate to them. I love them. <laughs> the Cargill Okra Project. Amazing. Huh? Rachel Cargill is amazing. Yes, she is. The Okra Project, Therapy for Black Men, and the Unapologetic Guide to Black Mental Health. Um, I believe that one is a book. Um, because when I searched it, it came up on Amazon. So don't do that. <laughs> Buy it from a Black-owned bookstore. So, yes, those are just a couple, 16, a handful of resources. Um, there are so many more out there. I encourage you to seek them out, to share them if you find some that we haven't mentioned, because we will share them on our personal accounts in the pod account. Um, but then the last thing I wanted to talk about real quick is uh, this organization called uh, SW Cares. <laughs> SW Rep Matters, SW Cares. Sounds similar. Um, but it Does stands Star for... Wars care? No. Star Wars is, <laughs> no, Star Wars does not care. Um, <laughs> but it, it stands for Social Work Coalition for Anti-Racist Educators. And um, they do a lot of different uh, events and, and talks and, and chats, mostly over the internet because it's more accessible. Um like back in March, I was scrolling through their Facebook page. Back in March, they had a um, conversation about the article that I mentioned earlier, Naming White Supremacy in the Social Work Curriculum. It was with the author of it um, on Twitter, where you can uh, ask questions, and it was a whole conversation and stuff like that, and it was all about addressing white supremacy and social work curriculum. So they have stuff like that, but then Jess sent me over Instagram this event that they are doing uh, via Facebook Live on Tuesday, June 30th, so next Tuesday uh, at 7pm. Or not next Tuesday, two Tuesdays from now. Um, Eastern Standard Time. Standard Time. Uh, hosted or it's a discussion with Rachel Cargill, who is the mm -hmm. founder of Loveland Foundation. Um, the event is called Social Work So White, a discussion mm -hmm. with public academic writer and lecturer Rachel Cargill on the intersection of white supremacy and social work. Um, I'm really stoked for this. <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. I will still be working, so they're recording it, thank God, so I'll get to watch it afterwards. Um, but because Jess sent me this, I then found. SW cares. And it has been a really fantastic resource in terms of like what I can do as a professional with my privilege as a white professional, um, in, in, in our field, such as like 
writing letters to the NASW and signing petitions for the NASW who are okay with social workers working with law enforcement. Um, So I would highly recommend you check them out, even if you're not a social worker, because they post a lot of great resources. Um, And I know if you're listening to our podcast, I know you're also interested in mental health because you wouldn't be here if you weren't. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah. Thank you, Jess, for sending me that. I sent it to my, the entirety of our mental health team and got like three responses, but you know, is this a shot. free event? It is a free event on Facebook. Um, there's a, one other thing that I want to plug that's kind of in the same realm as this. Um, Erica Hart is a non-binary femme mm-hmm. that um, has, she's essentially radicalized me, to be honest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but she, God, they, her pronouns are she, they. Um they regularly do what's called uh, they're a sex educator, like a sexuality educator professionally. Um, they do these like uh, they're called sex talks with Erica and she mm-hmm. has different um, guests on that are like um, kind of in like the wellness or mental health or like sexuality or just activist spaces. And they've been really good on Instagram live highly recommend mm-hmm. checking those out. I try to post them. They happen like, I don't know if they're weekly or if they're like every other week, it's really hard for me to keep track of time right now. <laughs> <laughs> time doesn't so exist. It might be every week. I'm not sure. Um, but if you don't follow Erica Hart, highly recommend um, following her because she's brilliant and she goes yeah. hard. Like yeah. she'll make you feel like, Oh shit. Like, I suck. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I should do something about it. <laughs> yeah. I think we've mentioned her, we her partner uh, podcast before. Yeah. We were talking about um, interracial relationships. Yes. Um, so Ebony is a trans black man. And then Erica is a non-binary femme. And they have great conversations on their podcast yeah. about everything. Yeah. Um, it's called Hood Rat to Head Rap. Yes. Something to think about, like, for us and our non-Black listeners is we feel, like, the heaviness of what's happening right now. Our mental health is affected by everything that we're seeing. Actually, I want to credit Erica and Eb because I was listening to their latest podcast episode and they were kind of talking about this. And I don't know why this just popped into my mind. But when we start to associate Black lives with horrific violence, it that's not a good thing. <laughs> like the fact that we're associating police violence, systemic violence with black lives. Like, yeah, it's great to draw attention to that, but we also need to focus on like black excellence and black people thriving and black joy. And yeah. Yeah. like, don't just focus on like, Oh shit. Like another, there was a lynching, like, and then the guy's brother was killed by the LAPD like this week too. Like that's important to talk about and to change. But that's not all that black people are. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> like, it, you can't, you can't, I mean, Latin, the Latinx community too, especially the immigrant community, like you can't just think of them as people in cages that are being affected by ICE. Yes, that is a, a, a very heavy and serious thing that is happening in those communities. But there are people that are thriving, that have mental health issues, that have dreams and desires and, um, 
that's it doesn't matter if like a black person like went to Harvard and mm-hmm. is you know this you know a case study on black excellence and is like a great business owner and like I don't know just really involved in their community like it doesn't that do, that shit doesn't matter like this is human right. life this is basic human decency black lives matter no matter who they are right even if they're like a criminal gonna right. say it most likely they have been criminalized unfairly but right. maybe right. they have been been tried fairly um i haven't <laughs> um but i think it's really important for us to to look for ways to support black joy and to support yeah. black and brown people thriving you can do that and you can also do the abolition work and you know donating calling writing emails and letters and doing things that way protesting being angry but Mm -hmm. like support your black friends support their businesses if they're artists buy their art don't ask for discounts like (laughs) promote their shit buy from black bookstores like buy from black businesses like Participate not, in these free Facebook live events for social workers without yeah. asking if you can get CEUs. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I was pissed. Support black educators when they're doing stuff like this. This is them doing the work for free a for lot of the free. times. And you want like, CEUs? Fuck and you're off. asking as a white or non-black person, what can I do? You can participate in listening to these educators giving you free education or very inexpensive education. And supporting them and supporting yeah. them in in their passion for their community. <laughs> yeah. Don't turn black lives into your trauma porn. Yeah. It's not okay. Which which is something that people do a lot with marginalized communities. Um especially like people in like the disabled community. Uh, yep. but you're seeing it hardcore right now with the black community. Mm-hmm. Um they're they're people <laughs> like I don't know what else to say other than they're people not not there to be your trauma porn uh, or your I don't know your your magnets for suffering and mm-hmm. like whatever I don't know like you all watch like violent movies and like all that kind of shit like there's something about that that's like I don't know obviously human nature is to be mesmerized by some of that stuff otherwise the right. entertainment in like very violent stories and war um wouldn't and rape and murder and all that shit. murder podcasts would not be a thing if we weren't <laughs> so fascinated by this stuff and by people right. that like murder people <laughs> to be honest murderers like um i mean most of the people that go into psychology to be honest are like fascinated by like the you know what's noted what's usually thought of as like sociopaths and like the people that are like why are they're not they hurt they hurt people <laughs> or they hurt themselves like there's we have this sick fascination with that for whatever reason it's not oh i can't so. even tell you like how many times you know like you'd be sitting in a psych random psych class in undergrad and be like oh you know like what are you hoping to do with your degree and at that time i was gonna go into substance abuse and so i'd be like ah substance abuse and people are like oh and i'm like well what are you gonna go into and they're like well i really want to work with like schizophrenics and like people with antisocial personality disorder because like I just want to know 
what's wrong with their brain. And it's like, you're fucking disgusting. <laughs> exactly. Look, I took a neural psych. Like, that was, shit was fucking fascinating because, uh-huh. you know, it's it's different. Like, how how does this happen? But right. that's gross <laughs> yeah. to be that fascinated with it. That that's what you want to do for a career. <laughs> like, right. So one thing to want to help people. <laughs> right. <laughs> because the system doesn't work for them <laughs> because of their mental health. Right. That's the other thing is to be like, I want to know how your brain is broken. Like that's basically, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's good majority of people in any undergraduate psychology program. <laughs> I think that's medicine too, to be honest. Yeah. Oh like, yeah. Some people are super fascinated with like either really traumatic stuff, which trauma is really basic. So I don't understand why people are tra- are, are fascinated by that. It's like, the, it's like the really complicated <laughs> diseases. I know that sounds weird, but when you're learning how to treat traumatic injuries, it's really straightforward. <laughs> right, 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 right. Like, Stop the bleeding. <laughs> okay, you're good. Like, <laughs> and, you know, there's multiple levels to that. Either it's like put, you know, pressure or they need surgery to stop this bleeding. So it's like, <laughs> but it's Give them CPR to the tune of another one bites the dust. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty simple. It's the, it's yeah. like the, uh, the weird diseases and like infectious diseases and stuff that's like mm. fascinating to, to people. Um, cause it's, it's, you know, it's different. It's, yeah. it's dark. It's weird. Anyway. But yeah, don't, don't use black people as your trauma porn. That includes, oh, that includes your fucking mission trips. Mm. That includes your Peace Corps trips. That includes and you showing up to a protest. Don't that, fucking take yes. pictures of the protest. I'm sorry. I like, was so mad when we were at our protest and there was just like white girls like selfie with our signs. And I'm like, don't do that. You're just here so you can post this on Instagram and get people to be like, oh my gosh, thank you so much. Like, you're so good and blah, 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 blah. You can pat yourself on the back and be like, that's enough activism for today. Back I was off. really proud of Long Beach. The couple of protests that I've been to, I haven't seen anybody taking pictures. Everybody's been there to be there. Right. Like, I took um, pictures of the crowd because I yeah. was like, hey, this is a good turnout for our relatively small town. <laughs> um, and there were more people that I didn't get in the, you know, but like people that are like, let's take pictures of us with our signs. It's like, fuck you. If you're a white person. It's not what you're here to do. Yes. Stop doing that. <laughs> um, and another thing to not do is let your uh, listening in terms of like podcasts or finding resource resources end with us. Um, oh, as yeah. y'all know, we are not black. <laughs> um, this is a starting point. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> this is racism 101. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so Which you should not be going to black people for like no. that's not... Uh, you know, obvious. Like we are fine with being that at that you know that point in your education, I guess. But keep in mind while you're listening to us and while you're being educated about this, and while we're doing this, Black Lives Matter, but cops are still killing them. <laughs> so, yep. Um, yeah. Like we don't like, just mention all these like podcasts we've listened to, like by black podcasters or black authors or, you know, like all of that, just like, you know, for our health and shits and giggles, like we're offering you a, 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 a diving board yeah. of find this podcast and it might lead you to another podcast and it might lead you to another one, or this article will lead you to a fantastic author. Um, 
So we we are not the end all be all. Please don't like share our stuff as like, hey, everyone, look at what these two people are doing. It, no, we're just trying to provide a. We're using our privileged position as uh, you know Star Wars podcasters with a decent following <laughs> to <laughs> provide people with resources and and provide that racism one on one education. Um, and so you don't go to black people and ask them, what can yeah. I do? <laughs> because we are giving you a whole list of things to do. Our last episode in particular, we gave a lot yep. of things that you can do, a lot of places to start, a lot of places to, to you know, things to read. Um, we didn't I'm really blessed. talk about podcasts last time, but maybe um, we can mm. list some in the in the show notes because I don't have any like on hand that yeah. I've written down um, other than hood rap to head wrap because <laughs> yeah. I was listening to that today. But um, like <laughs> if you're not a book person, huh? I was going to say like, I'm, I'm realizing that I really don't listen to a lot of podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> the only reason I was is because I drive a lot for work, but I really haven't lately because I haven't right. been driving and, or working. And so I've been trying to like turn them on, like when I'm cooking or like doing stuff around the house, just so I'm like not backlogged with so many, but I haven't listened to any star Wars podcasts. Sorry, star Wars podcasting press, star Wars podcasting friends. <laughs> like just here. I can, I can give a good quick pod recommendation. That's some pretty, it has some pretty racism one-on-one stuff, but also some like really good deep stuff. I actually sent it to you, Jess. Um, it is on Brene Brown's podcast, Un- Unlocking Us with Brene Brown. Um, she is a social worker. She's a white woman. Um, she just did a episode with Austin Channing Brown, who is a black author. Um, one of her books is her her books. Mm-hmm. Her book <laughs> is called I'm Still Here, Black Dignity in a World Made for Whiteness. Um, and she has an online TV show called The Next Question. Uh, the conversation was great. It is a fantastic conversation between uh, Brene and Austin, and they have a really nice rapport. Like you could, they're they're already buddies outside of this, so that makes the conversation that much better. And what's awesome is like Austin calls Brene Brown out on her shit Good. if she's like saying <laughs> something that's like kind of white womany or like very white womany. She'd be like Brene, like shut up, not like that, but you know, yeah. like. She'll challenge her. And so, and, and, and the way that white people listen to the way that Brene takes that, because she takes it really well. Um, She doesn't turn it around and make it about her. Like, oh, but my feelings are hurt, you know? Um, But that is my quick pod recommendation. Um, right my, uh, my other pod recommendation is Intersectionality Matters with Kimberly Crenshaw. <laughs> She's been doing a great series Yay. on how COVID is affecting uh, uh, Black people, um, especially Black women, and Black femmes, and then also about like the healthcare industry. Um, God, so many topics. She has like a, there's like a, how many episodes? I want to say like seven or eight series of episodes called under the black light. And it's all about all the systemic racist anti-black things going on Mm -hmm. that have been going on for, uh, for hundreds of years. Um, And if you don't know, Kimberly Crenshaw is the lawyer who uh, coined the term intersectionality. um, And she was referring to the intersection of 
racism and sexism and what black women have to deal with um, specifically. Right. Um, I think I put her, that, that article actually in the, in the to read list for your pod homework. I think so. (laughs) I'm pretty sure you did. I think I added it. But yeah, that podcast (laughs) is excellent. She has great guests on there um, Mm -hmm. that are just like from a whole spectrum of specialties. So, so yeah. There's so, three right there. You can go listen to. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, do that. We've we're more likely to post retweet and post resources on our main accounts just because managing multiple accounts just manages four because <laughs> you yeah. have your public, your <laughs> private, and two pod accounts. Um, yeah, I, I do well right now. I'm not because we're on hiatus, but rep matters too. Oh, I'm so yeah, just five. That. Yeah, that's when I'm, the, I'm one of the admins for that account too. Yeah, so we forget that the pod account exists sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so you can follow our pod account. Uh, it is at LBT Pod. Um, you can send us an email, lousybeautifultownpod at gmail.com if you have any, um, I guess, even like any questions that you're like, because we are we are offering to answer them or explain them in further detail. So don't go to your black friends or just black people you know to ask them. You can come to us. I don't give a shit. At least um, I don't. Go to Google first. And then yeah, if you're still going to do that. That, that yeah, should be that. good, you know, uh, practice to do anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For everything. Google is free. You can find. Oh, yeah. We have a Patreon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. Oh, I it keep is forgetting to take the money out so that we can donate it. Whoops. I forget the Patreon exists sometimes because we're always in the yeah. Discord. So I just never yeah. go on the actual Patreon page. We have a we have a Discord for all of our Patreons, our Patreons. Um, we post mostly post pictures of pets. So if you want yeah. some good loving content, you can see pets. Also, just added new emojis not too long ago. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of them is of my dog. Uh, two of them. Are of me, <laughs> one of me in my comfy doing the peace sign because I'm bisexual, and the other <laughs> holding a knife. So, you know, there's also the Kirby holding a knife. Yes, there's and Thor. Yeah, Thor. The really? Are you mm-hmm. really Thor? What else is there? I think that's I it. Think right? That's it. Yeah. <laughs> so I sent you plenty it. more pictures. I know. For, I have to do it on my computer and I just haven't sat uh, down and done it because I have to like email them to myself because I don't have yeah. a Mac. Well, I have a Mac, but I, I don't use my Mac for yeah. for things. But yeah, so consider coming in Patreon. Um, yeah. We've we uh, sometimes we use that money to help donate to things. We're using some to help donate to folks who were um, particularly hit hard by COVID um, and all of our Patreons have been incredible and in being like, yeah, please, please use the money for that. So thank y'all for who, for uh, being good Patreons. I uh, think we should do something for Black Lives Matter at some yeah. point. Um, maybe would, like the June and maybe the rest of the the year, really, because we're paid up on. Yeah. Yeah, we already paid our hosting fees. Yeah. We, I, I know we've talked about doing something like this in the past, but I would love to do like a charity live stream or something. I know. Um, we'll have to figure out how to do that. And I'm not good win. at figuring that kind of stuff out. Like, yeah. I mean, <laughs> if you know how to do that kind of stuff, <laughs> can help. you help us? We're not I, I very barely, smart. 
I was barely able to figure out how to stream a movie. <laughs> I think our friends over at Imperial Senate Pod have done it in the past. Have they? So okay. um, at Imperial Senate Pod, if you have done that in the past, and I'm not really? just <laughs> making shit up, please help. Charlie. We, uh, we, yeah, Charlie, please help. Um, um, we're, we're a little inept. Yeah. I just don't even know where to start for something no, like that. You it's know, like so I, overwhelming. I, I, I have we have a Discord and there is a voice channel that says live stream and that's as far as we've gotten. So <laughs> we also still have a, a a channel called The Mummy from when we tried to watch The Mummy. So maybe we'll just watch do it. that again. We'll just we did watch, we did watch The Mummy. The Mummy. <laughs> <laughs> I've been waiting for uh, Billy to get um, Prince of Egypt so we can watch that. And he keeps forgetting he's working a lot, but it's fine. Well, we have to watch the the Mummy too first oh yes okay we'll do that soon okay and um, then prince of egypt oh you already said that yeah i feel like what was that what was i feel like we had something else i don't know it was a bunch of egyptian <laughs> themed movies <laughs> oh um uh national treasure <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> love that movie okay <laughs> don't judge me that's a comfort film <laughs> hey i understand I that imagine. and uh, Night at the Museum. <laughs> I've never seen that. What? No. What the? F- okay. Why are you like these like museum like, movies? Because I like museums. Aww. I was- will spend hours at a museum. I go to my museum at Animal Crossing almost every day just to look at my fish. (laughs) (laughs) Never go to a museum with me if you're the kind of person who just likes to like walk through and like look at stuff. Like I will stop and read every plaque I can find. (laughs) So anyway, you can find me, I guess, talking about museums. Not really, but um, (laughs) mostly right now talking about Avatar when I'm not, you know, talking about Black Lives Matter. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Abby M. Cecilia. Just where can they find you, even though you're locked? <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to find a job. Might happen. Um, you can find me at Space Jess with four S's in the Jess. Um, yeah, I just, <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about right now. Animal Crossing and Black Lives Matter, pretty much. <laughs> mm-hmm. With that, Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter. Stop being a racist. Don't make social workers cops. Okay, bye. Okay. Un, deux, trois. French is fake.